Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you again for listening. If you're still here, um, thanks for still listening. So, uh, I've gotten a DM. I, I love getting DMs, absolutely. Um, both, I guess, both uh, conflicting DMs and then also ones that are eager to learn, uh, ones that are thanking me for my solidarity. You know, I, I love them all. I love engagement so much. So uh, this particular one says, uh, thank you for sharing. Uh, I've been learning so much. That's why I do it. I'm glad I've actually kind of contributed a little bit. Uh, but I'm wondering, uh, what is the solution to this conflict? Uh, I hear people talk about a two-state solution and a one-state solution. But how are these different? I guess, what do you believe outcome-wise? Uh, this is a great question. I appreciate this question so much. Thank you for asking it. Uh, it's This is something that I did not want to answer over a DM because I felt like I was typing it out. I was typing out my answer to this and it was... It is a it is a long answer. It's a long-winded answer. Um, and then I felt like it just didn't do it justice to type it out in DM form. So I'm going to answer it in, uh, in podcast form, in annoying podcast form. So I guess the, uh, the thesis of the question, the overarching uh, idea here is which is uh, preferable, a two-state solution or a one-state solution to the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict that is not actually a conflict that is in occupation and ongoing genocide. But uh, we're going to go through this and we're going to discuss the two-state solution, the one-state solution, and uh, ultimately I'm going to tell you what my preference is, uh, what from all of the analysis that I've done with this issue um, and taking in all the considerations of the rights of both Israelis as well as Palestinians, uh, I'm going to tell you which solution is the most viable, in my opinion, uh, which solution is going to be the most effective at ensuring a lasting peace uh, between the Mediterranean Sea and the River Jordan. And the answer here is uh, it's a one-state solution. Uh, the best outcome for this conflict is one state. Now, the normative position, the position that uh, both the Canadian government and the U.S. government takes is a two-state solution. But uh, I don't believe that's possible. I think that both state solutions, whether it be one state solution or two-state solution, we are getting a glimpse, uh, kind of like a preview as to what those would look like from the current uh, dynamic that we are observing in Israel-Palestine, particularly uh, the dynamic between uh, the state of Israel as, and the uh, autonomous Gaza Strip, semi-autonomous blockaded Gaza Strip, as well as the state of Israel and the occupied West Bank. So a lot of people argue uh, for the, the two-state solution. Uh, the idea is that there are going to be two states, a Israel and a Palestine, uh, that live side by side in uh, peace and harmony. Uh, some people say that there would be 
open borders between these two states. A lot of people argue that there would be a huge separation wall and nobody crosses it. But uh, my, my criticism of the two-state solution is that it's not viable because we really are, we are seeing a kind of like a, what I mentioned before, a preview of the two-state solution in the dynamic between Israel and Gaza. Because Gaza is not, is not occupied, as we know. It's not uh, de jure, it's not officially in name occupied. But uh, Israel has shown a very clear uh, reluctance to accept any kind of autonomy for the Palestinians within Gaza and any kind of uh, democratic process in Gaza. As you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Gazan people elected Hamas in 2005 as their uh, official government. And there were a whole slew of reasons for electing for electing Hamas. But uh, my overarching criticism of that is that Israel was not ultimately respectful of that election. Um, they, they talk a lot of, there's a lot of tension in Israel. Um, a lot of Israelis will say that they are in favor of a two-state solution. Israeli governments have said that they're in favor of a two-state solution. The current Israeli government under Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has said that he, under his rule, there will never be a Palestinian state. Uh, but anyway, is that uh, if Gaza achieved that sovereign state status, if there was a Palestinian state of Gaza, uh, Israel would be unwilling to accept uh, the sovereignty of Gaza. And we've seen that happen with the United States on a global scale. We've seen uh, the governments of Venezuela, of Cuba, try and enact uh, policies that don't go along with U.S. hegemony. And they have implemented coups in those countries. They have uh, attempted to assassinate their leaders. They have imposed illegal, uh, barbaric embargoes on these countries. And as we know, Israel very much takes after the grand imperial strategy of the United States. So I think that a two-state solution is not possible because a state next to Israel would not be allowed by Israel and also by extension by Israel's ally, the United States, uh, to have a true kind of sovereignty and to have a true right to self-determination. Israel already doesn't respect international law when it comes to the self-governing uh, status of the Palestinians in Gaza. So there's no really there's no real indication uh, that they would respect the status of a sovereign Palestinian state right next to them. And then there is also the issue of uh, Gaza in the West Bank. These two Palestinian territories uh, presumably would form uh, the one Palestinian state. Now, uh, these two territories are separated by Israel. They, uh, there's no kind of land crossing. There's no border between them. They are completely separated and isolated from each other. So I don't think it's fair at all to the Palestinians to have a state wherein you need to cross through another state, an openly hostile state that can shut that border at any time to get somewhere in your own country. And again, we have seen a preview of this in the West Bank. Uh, Israel sets up arbitrary military checkpoints, uh, issues ID cards to Palestinians, heavily restricts their movement, even within the West Bank. So there's really uh, no indication, there's no 
uh, like there's no precedent for Israel to allow travel across their state uh, between one Palestinian state if they won't even let Palestinians travel within the West Bank itself. And uh, the other reason for that is that Zionism is still the dominant ideology in Israel. Zionism is a nationalist movement uh, that says the Jews have a God-given right. Uh, they need to establish a national home for the Jewish people in all of Palestine. And when you have an ideology that powerful that seeks a claim to the entire land, uh, there really is no uh, future with that is compatible with Zionism. And we know Israel is not going to give up Zionism. There's no future where two states, uh, where in one state is on land that the other uh, firmly believes it is theirs. There's no future there where Zionism can coexist with a two-state solution. And then uh, my final big reason as to why the two-state solution is unviable is settlements. Uh, Israeli settlements in the West Bank and previously in Gaza. What Israel has done is they have constructed these settlements as an impediment to the two-state solution. You can't have a two-state solution wherein the Palestinians are entitled to the entire West Bank without the mass displacement of Israeli settlements and Israelis who are living in those settlements. And that is done specifically on purpose. Uh, even American uh, governments, even American presidents have admitted, uh, these very pro-Israel presidents have admitted that uh, the expansion of illegal settlements in the West Bank is an impediment to peace and an impediment to the two-state solution. And that kind of brings us back to Israel using its civilians, its civilian kibbutzes, as a shield, not even not just in the physical sense, not just in the demographic geological sense, but also in the political sense that they now have this uh, precedent to go ahead and say, we can't have a two state solution. We can't have a Palestinian state in the West Bank because our people uh, live there now. And again, that is uh, that is like one of the main reasons as to why uh, these settlements are illegal under international law. And now that brings us uh, to the one-state solution. Again, it's not a perfect solution, but it is definitely the preferable solution uh, over the two-state solution. Over, I guess, like there's three options, the one-state solution, the two-state solution, and uh, the complete eradication of all Palestinians. But uh, the one-state solution, I, I believe in one state. I believe in one democratic, secular decolonized state that respects the rights of Israelis and Palestinians equally. And a lot of Zionists will view this as an attack on Israel, will view this as aggression toward Israelis. But it's really, it's not about that at all when you take it into consideration and when you actually take the time to think about it critically. This is not taking away rights from Israelis. This is granting rights to Palestinians that Israelis already have. And honestly, that one democratic state would look very similar to how Palestine looked pre-1948, where Christians, Jews, and Arabs lived in relative peace together in Palestine. Before it was uh, occupied, well, at the time it was occupied by Britain, but before 
the British mandate pulled out and the ethno state, the ethno fascist exclusory state of Israel came in. Now, how that state comes about is completely up to Israel because Israel has all the power in this situation. So uh, how that happens, whether it is uh, through judicial reforms, whether it is through international pressure, and whether it is through uh, violent decolonization, it is completely up to Israel because a system that is maintained through violence, a system that was installed through violence, can only be uprooted by violence. So the onus is on the settler entity of Israel to end the violence and to end their uh, regime of oppression against the Palestinian people. Now, there are a couple points that I want to go over that have to happen before that one democratic state uh, can be established. Uh, Number one, the blockade of Gaza has to be lifted. You have to allow the Palestinians to import things, to export things. You need to allow them to have an airport. You need to allow them to have a seaport. You need to allow them to be able to uh, fish autonomously off of their coast. Uh, And two, you need to you need to deoccupy the West Bank. The occupation of the West Bank needs to end. Uh, This has been agreed by the international community that it is an illegal occupation. So the occupation of the West Bank needs to end. Uh, Israel needs to cede the uh, oppressive power that it holds over the West Bank. Uh, And then also with the West Bank, I guess you can call this point to be maybe uh, or it's a whole point on its own, really. The settlements in the West Bank need to be dismantled. Uh, The settlement expansion needs to end. And what I mean by dismantled is I don't mean go in and uproot the Israelis who have built lives in these settlements. Now, I'm going to say I don't have a whole lot of sympathy uh, for Israeli settlers in the West Bank as they are inherently different from uh, Israelis living in uh, what we can consider with air quotes Israel proper. Because the settlers in the West Bank knew what they were doing. A lot of them uh, moved there very recently. So they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew that they were going into this occupied territory. They knew that they were illegally moving there under international law. And they knew that they were uh, building their lives there on top of the rubble of somebody else's house, or even inside somebody else's house. And that's true for East Jerusalem as well, which is also occupied. And this isn't like a settler dynamic here, where the people who are displaced are long gone, or the people who are responsible are long gone, and it's ancestors who can't be held accountable uh, for the actions of their ancestors. No, like the people, the Palestinians who are kicked out of uh, the Israeli settlements, the homes there, are still alive today. Even the Palestinians who were expelled in the Nakba in 1948, some of them are still alive today. Uh, People think that this issue is uh, thousands of years old. They think that it uh, has so many different epochs in the past, uh, and that's why it's so complicated. But the truth is, is, it's not that old of an issue. Israel itself was founded in 1948. Uh, That means Israel is younger than Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger. So the people who were displaced by these settlements, who were displaced by Israel, they're still alive today. Which brings me to my fourth point there. The Palestinians uh, living in diaspora 
as well as the ancestors of Palestinians who were expelled from Israel in the 1948 ethnic cleansing known as the Nakba need to be granted their right to return to their ancestral homeland, to uh, even their own homes. Like there are old, there are elderly Palestinian people living in the diaspora, whether that is in Syria, in Jordan, in Lebanon, who their houses are still there today and they are still alive today. The difference is that their houses are now lived in by Israeli Jews. And under international law, it is their right to return uh, after being displaced by a conflict. It is 100% their right to return. And predictably, Israel has not allowed that. Because again, um, Palestinians returning to Palestine, to their homes that has now uh, been engulfed by the settler entity of Israel, is uh, a demographic threat to Israel, and it is a threat to the ethnostate. And the, the apartheid regime needs to end. What I mean by that is that Israel needs to, well, either Israel itself, violent uh, Palestinian decolonization or international pressure, needs to dismantle the system of domination uh, that the Israelis have imposed on the Palestinian people. And that is to grant full autonomous rights, uh, the same as Israelis, to Palestinians living in the West Bank, to Palestinians living in Gaza, and uh, to Palestinians who are citizens of Israel proper, who still experience systemic discrimination and racism within the state of Israel, despite being, despite living in Israel themselves. And physically, this means get ready, getting rid of the arbitrary military checkpoints in in the West Bank that control movement. That means getting rid of the the fences that keep Palestinians in one place. Uh, the big part here is control is getting rid of these impediments to movement because the way that Israel treats Palestinians is that it prefers to corral them using military checkpoints, using fences, using walls uh, to keep them in one place and to keep and the most important part to keep them separate from the Israeli populace, to keep them from uh, mingling with uh, their conception of what are, uh, you know, pure Israelis that are that have the God given right to uh, live in the land of Judea and Samaria. Now, again, like I said before, it's completely up to Israel whether this one democratic state comes about through a peaceful means or through violent decolonization. Uh, decolonization as a process is inherently violent because systems that are maintained and installed by violence can only be uprooted through violence. Uh, meaning that if Israel continues to maintain its system of domination and oppression against the Palestinian people, uh, violent uh, resistance, violent revolution is a necessity for them. And again, it is their absolute right uh, under international humanitarian law to violently rebel when all other avenues have been exhausted. And believe me, they have. You can just look at the 2018 right to return. Uh, where uh, Israelis open fired on peaceful Palestinians who were leading a march toward the apartheid wall. Uh, they killed numerous Palestinians there. You can look at the BDS movement and how that has been called anti-Semitic, how that has even been criminalized in Western nations here. Like the, the nonviolent routes have been absolutely tried and exhausted and they don't respect 
the nonviolent advocacy for Palestinian human rights. So understandably, you can see why people living under such brutal occupation and suppression would resort to violence. And I think anybody would, re would resort to violence in that scenario. And, you know, of course, I would absolutely prefer to see a peaceful transition to a one dem to one democratic state that respects the rights of Palestinians, that respects the rights of Israelis equally. Absolutely. That would be beautiful to see. Um, but I'm not naive. I'm going to acknowledge the reality. And I'm also going to acknowledge the history that uh, colonialism really has hardly ever been uh, uprooted peacefully. Uh, colonialism, as we've seen it in modern history, has usually ended with uh, what we call the settler dominance, uh, the complete supremacy of the settler state, and then that is always followed by uh, reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is not the same as decolonization. In Canada, we've reached that stage of reconciliation. In the United States, they're kind of slower to adopt reconciliation, but they're they're getting there for sure. Uh, but reconciliation is different from decolonization because reconciliation is ultimately a uh, reminder that the settler state has won and that it is now safe for the settler state to acknowledge their past atrocities and what was wrong with the founding of their state. You're never going to see a state that still poses a risk of decolonization adopt any kind of uh, reconciliation into their national narrative. That's why Canada, we po there's virtually... No, uh, there's virtually no risk of decolonization in Canada, and that is why we have reconciliation, because those, the risk of decolonization and reconciliation from the settler state will never exist together. It's because reconciliation means that the settler state has unequivocally won. So I guess my point here is that uh, if we're going to de, if Israel is going to decolonize, there won't be any kind of reconciliation afterward. And there is absolutely precedence for decolonization in modern history, too. You can look at uh, the Algerians decolonizing from French occupation. Uh, you, can even, you can even partly kind of look at uh, the Haitian slave revolution as a form of decolonization. But the thing about decolonization is that it's not, it's not pretty. It is violent and it is ugly, but it is, uh, by, it is by all means a necessary evil uh, in the end for liberation. And then uh, kind of to summarize this point here, adopting a one-state solution, uh, adopting that into your view, into your opinion on the issue, means advocating against the status quo. And the status quo is kind of interchangeable with this Israeli narrative of peace. Because when they, see, when they say peace in uh, kind of like Israeli propaganda, they don't really mean peace. They mean peace for Israelis, uh, but they mean oppression, apartheid, and the continued status quo for Palestinians. Absolutely. Like anybody who tries to argue that there was peace before October 7th is absolutely fucking lying to you. October 7th was... It was violent. It was terrible to see the civilian deaths of October 7th. You know, it made me sick to hear about the things that happened to Israeli civilians. But if you're not contextualizing that and you're not taking into account the fact that October 7th was a terrible, terrible thing to witness. But if you're not taking into account the indisputable fact 
that Palestinians have been having October 7th since 1948, then there's really no room to talk about peace and to talk about a return to peace on this issue. So that's my opinion on uh, the one-state solution and why it is viable and why it is preferable to the two-state solution. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope you learned something. As always, free Palestine. I'll see you next time.